Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. Beverly, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. As you and I were talking, you know, I've been pretty stressed at work, but it's a good kind of stress and a job that I like. I'm really glad you're enjoying your job. I'm just about to make the switch a week from when we record to my new job, which is really exciting and really scary because change is bad. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm really excited about that. And of course, as you know, I'm I'm starting to think ahead to retirement someday. And that's occupying most of my time and my thoughts right now. <laughs> well, I don't know about most of your time and thoughts because I see what you've what you've done here. But before we get into that, let's um, talk about our sponsors for July. Absolutely. We are so blessed to have StyleArk sponsoring a free pattern this month. And of course, StyleArk has such a huge selection of patterns across many, many size ranges, which is is wonderful. Their latest size range goes up to a full 70-inch hip, doesn't it? Yes, it does. For adults, for adult women, at least. I haven't actually looked into the men's, um, yeah. but I, I love that. Um, well, we also have somebody giving us some free labels. It's true. So Fatity.com, which is my tiny little label business, is giving some free labels out. And those are something I'll mail anywhere in the world. So it is open to any of our listeners anywhere. And I'm really excited about it. Um, In addition, Karamia released a new pattern uh, recently, the Gardenia Chemise, which is um, a loose and flowy top. Uh, and dress pattern that has a elasticized or drawstring waist or a combo. And um, she gave me an extra copy of that pattern to give away. And so we are going to do that this month as well. That's awesome. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to mention is we have another new subscriber whose name is Iris. And so thank you, Iris, for joining us. Welcome. So what have you been up to this month, this week rather, besides being a little stressed out by an amazing job. Okay. I, I've started a pair, my very first pair of ginger jeans. As you know, I was looking forward to the size expansion that happened with the closet core ginger jeans and they upgraded to a size 32, which is a 63 inch hip. And so I was able to make them and they're the sister company for closet core patterns is core fabrics. And I bought uh, the suggested fabric that they have there for these jeans, because they are a skinny type jeans, so they ha- they need stretch fabric. I purchased the 11 ounce Cone Mills stretch denim. I guess it's dead stock that they have there. And I bought that from Corfa in the indigo blue color. I also bought like that. They had uh, a zipper and like yeah, the jeans. Little kit. yeah, like jeans, needles. And um, also they had this. Apparently, you're supposed to have the stretch interfacing for the waistband, but I forgot about it till now, so that's probably not happening, but (laughs) (laughs) I found the little kit, and I was like, oh, whoopsie. Anyways, for this one, for this jeans pattern, I did not do a (gasps) twall. I didn't. I'll tell you why. So, first of all, in doing, part of Today's episode is going to be an interview with Ruth Ithaca Maven, 
top yeah. down center out uh, method person. And part of the thing is when you do these like one legged twall, you can't really use that for stretch fabric, right? Because you need both sides for that. Also, you need stretch fabric that you don't want to use. For, right. Yeah. I didn't have any of that. So I'm like, whatever. I could have done like a, <laughs> a basting twall, you know, where you just base it yeah. together and take it all apart. But I did it. Um, I'm not doing now, that. You're sounding a lot like me right now. I know. I know. I took a shortcut. But I, but I have a pretty good idea that, like, I it, I think it'll work. Um, the only thing it could be is a little too loose in the waist because you're supposed to have – it has, like, negative ease, but I don't really like that, the waist. So it, I may pay for it later, but anyways – I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it now. And I, I'm excited too, because I've, I've made a little, so I made a little design for the back pocket. Can you see this, Jenny? It's just, it's just very simple. Oh yeah, I can. I can. Um, It's cute. And then this guy's going to go on one of them. Oh my gosh. I love it. And is, where did you get the skeleton that's going to go on the pocket? I got it in New York at the same place where I got the patch I sent to you. Yes. Yeah. I just found those patches this past week and I thought, oh God, I need to make something that'll go on. So yeah. that's exciting. I hope it'll, I, I wonder if I should stitch around it. Do you, do you usually stitch around those? Um, you mean when I apply them? Yeah. I stitch around after ironing on. Cause I think for, for a back pocket, you yeah. need to stitch. Yeah. I need to stitch around. It'll come off and I'll be irritated. So yeah. anyways, <laughs> I'm about halfway through with that. I guess I've got, I've got the front done. No, no. I'm about a quarter of the way through because I've got the front pockets done and, um, yeah, I, I still, I don't even have the fly done. So got some work. Well, that is awesome. That sounds like a lot of work because jeans usually are. Yeah. I mean, they're just step-by-step like anything else. Right. But, um, this is my first time actually making jeans that have a zipper. I've only made them with, um, buttons before. Okay. So, so here's where I tried to make the Pietra shorts. There's an emphasis on the word tried. Yeah. I threw that shit away. So here's what happened. And I'm so frustrated with myself. And what I really need is if I had a friend who's made the Pietras a number of times <laughs> and wanted to book like a weekend sewing time with me, that would be yeah, so Yeah, that would be great. Because what happened is I got it all cut out. I moved it over. I've got a little stool. I put all my shit on and whatever. And I haven't really marked things, but I don't usually. I lay them down in front of my sewing machine and I mark them as I'm going. So I do mark them. It's just, I don't do it when I cut it out. And I got it over and I dropped the front pocket piece on the ground. And then I'm like, which fucking way does this thing go? And then I started to follow the instructions. I'm like, what are they doing? What's even happening here? And I got so confused and I got so mad that by the time I finished doing it and then realized I had not cut out the second piece of something I was supposed to, I was like, (laughs) fuck these jeans. And I threw them away. Oh, (laughs) no. Now I still have the pattern. I didn't throw the pattern away. I just, I was so done and I'd stitched enough things up that I'm like, I'm not tearing all this crap out. And I just, I just threw it away. So, and it's terrible because I had bought fabric to make multiple pairs. I'm like, well, I'm going to make the first pair. I'm going to love them like Beverly does. And so then I'm just going to make a thousand. So I have all this fabric that's intended to be made into these shorts. Yeah. I now feel like I'm too 
Yeah, we should do a weekend sewing thing because they're they're not difficult. The thing that's weird though is you kind of because so there's a pocket piece that gets kind of folded in and becomes part of the side too. And so you have to like if you don't mark where that is, it can be kind of confusing because the the pocket piece it is shaped a certain way, but it's very it would be very easy. It's subtle. It's <laughs> subtle. And if you don't have it marked on which yeah. one, it would make a big difference in how they wore, oh, you know, when you yeah. put it together, but it wouldn't be enough that you could see what you were doing. It was enough that as I laid it together, I'm like, I think this is upside down. So I tore it out, stitched it again. And then I'm like, no, this is fucking upside down. And <laughs> it was about then that I said, nope, these are not for me. And I haven't cut out my second pair because I do and plan to have my chalk with me mm-hmm. and marking as I go, mm-hmm. which by the way, if anyone had told me was required when I bought the pattern, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have bought the pattern, but the only but place that I, that I mark is where they tell you mark at the top of this pocket. And so I put, um, if I, especially if I'm using fabric, that's pretty much the same on both sides. Um, mm-hmm. I, or the same like linen, I will put, um, because otherwise just, I'll end up with two of the same leg. Um, do you use clip or do you do something else? I use washi tape. Oh, awesome. I've seen people who do that. And that's um, very helpful to me. Um, I use washi tape because I find when I use chalk, it goes off. And then I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Um, but maybe I'll have I to pull out some washi tape. That's a great idea. It just, it, you know how it is. Sometimes you're in a pattern and yeah. then you're like, nope. There, th- nothing good can come from this. At this point, anything I do will be doomed to failures. I yeah. just, I'm just done. And that well, was the know, point I had. The, those ones too. I probably should have warned you because normally pants, it's very easy to tell what piece is what. But yeah. when that pair, and also if you ever make the uh, free range slacks, they have that side panel and it can mess you up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it did. It messed me up and I just... I was just like, nah. Okay. <laughs> well, you still got plenty of things done. I did manage to get a few things done. Um, Carmia, of course, has been on a design um, tear lately. She designed a square neck bodycon dress called the Tate dress, which I've made two versions of um, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the final version I made, I color blocked the front. So it's light purple down to the underbust, and then it's um, some of my hand-dyed fabric. Same thing for the back, and it has a self, um, a self-lined bra, and it's really cute, and I like it. Um, it's, it's nice. It fits beautifully. She changed the shaping on the skirt on feedback from some of the uh, plus-size models to make it a little bit less negative easy, okay. and it still looks form-fitting, but it doesn't look as much um, like you were poured into it. Although obviously you can, you can tighten that up yourself if you would like to look more poured into it. Um, I've really liked that one. I don't believe I've posted a full picture of that one as yet on Instagram. I'm a little behind on my Instagram posting um, in part because of uh, things that I've made previously that have now been released. Like the Clio skirt has been upsized to a 70 inch hip um, by uh, the, the whole chart has gone up that high. And Clio is one of the first ones being released in that fuller size chart um, by made by now, what kind of cleat what what kind of skirt is that Clear like skirt is a fitted it's a it's a waistband skirt that's gathered in the front and the back it is gathered but by elastic so the waistband isn't gathered onto the skirt panel it is instead elasticized the front it's gathered onto 
Okay. And, um, and it's, it's a cute skirt. It's been out for forever, but there's been an updating of it. And, uh, when the announcement went out and it featured, uh, for our PF represent, it featured an old fat model, um, me, announcement uh, so <laughs> as one of the featured models. And I'll also be, um, being used on the website as one of the models for this, this skirt update. Um, I did make two of those though, not recently, cause I was making those as part of when the, it's just, I've only been able to say specifically what I was making and put the pictures up recently. So I made one out of a, um, midweight, the IL 20, no, IL 19, um, linen from fabricsstore.com and that one was in a bright teal and then I made another one out of a madras um one of those so it's madras fabrics but that the manufacturer of the fabric cut them up and quilted them back together sewed them back together oh yeah I've seen that fabric yeah right that's cool I got this in orange and blue because that's my alma mater in Florida the University of Florida's colors and I, I bought it I go down there occasionally and when I do I just go ahead and wrap their orange and blue. Um, but I made one out of that as well. And they're, they're both adorable. Um, they're both on my grid now. Um, it's a, it's a super simple skirt. This is not a skirt that necessarily mandates a pattern, mm-hmm. but I have liked making it with the pattern. I've made the previous smaller size, which was not sized for me, for my daughter. I've also upsized it for myself and downsized it for my granddaughter previously. Um, but it's nice to have it already sized correctly. Well, also a great thing is it sounds like it's a beginner-friendly pattern. Super beginner-friendly. It's definitely beginner-friendly. I think the most challenging part is that you do have to gather to the waistband in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, there's a thousand different methods for doing that. And I believe that uh, Made by Ray also has tutorials on that. I, of course, um, lately, my favorite method is turning the stitch length and the tension up on my machine. I usually go to five for my stitch length and nine is the highest tension on my um, highest tension number on my machine. And that's where I'll you usually ever forget to turn that back. Um, I do, but not normally for more than a stitch or two. <laughs> <laughs> Me um, too. I'm I, like, what the, Oh no. Yeah. I have a much harder time with it on my serger because I'll, I'll push it up to where it gathers a little bit mm-hmm. and then I'll forget. And I've now, I've now finished and it's not, I don't usually use the serger right now. I'm making woven. So I'm not, I'm not using it to put the fabrics together, yeah, but I'm putting yeah. the edges, but I'll finish finishing an edge. And I'm like, what is, oh crap. And then I have to take a few snips to loosen it up and you know, mm-hmm. it's annoying, but, um, but I, it's much harder for me to remember on my serger. Um, and then finally, I am, um, I am actually up to at this point, I am working right now on my 12th, uh, Karamia yesterday dress, which is in, um, testing right now. Oh this is, <laughs> this is a sundress that has narrow straps and where, um, view a has a yoke that crosses just about exactly at my, my nipples. Honestly, <laughs> that's where it is. Mid chest. Right. Okay. And then gathers below that and offers four different lengths. There's above knee, knee, midi, and maxi for the skirt. And the skirt is just a simple rectangle gathered that doesn't even come with a pattern piece. So if you print this at home when it's released, which is likely to be in July, you're talking about printing 20 pages and taping them together to do the bodice. And that's it. Um, Because the skirt is printed on the pattern piece as to the length you need to cut rectangles. And Mm -hmm. with Paramina's recommendation that for 44 inch wide fabric, you cut two rectangles and Mm -hmm. for 50 or 60 inch fabric, you cut, you know, I'm sorry, two for that three for the 44. But I mean, it's, it's intended to be very gathered, but also unstructured in terms of how you choose the width of that. So 
Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, the straps are uh, narrow, maybe an inch and a quarter at the top of the shoulder. And everything is finished in bias binding, which immediately you're thinking, wait, you've made 12 of these in three days, which by the way, is what I have done. So the thing is, um, I am using friend of the show, Sarah Fornia, her method of bias binding <laughs> for all of these. I am putting my fabric on my table and eyeballing it to cut two inch wide strips approximately on the bias. And when I'm joining them, I'm not doing that stupid angle join thing. I'm just cutting them straight up the <laughs> straight across the grain or across the bias of it and, and doing it like rectangles together. Mm. That's all I'm doing. And I'm not joining them until I get all the way down. And friend of the show, Sheila O'Kelly shared another method. She's like, just use my easy method. Do one shoulder, run the bias yeah. all the way around and finish it. Then do the other shoulder. Yeah. And then do the same thing for your underarms so that there's never a point where you're having to join it that isn't part of a seam. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So there's a whole new miracle of opportunity here for me, but it is working beautifully. And Cara Mia is going to include that loosey goosey, which is also her method of bias in the instructions. So there'll be instructions for proper, perfect bias. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then there'll be instructions for how she does it. And, um, and for me, this has been game changing the number of garments, Beverly, where I have fully lined a darted bodice because I didn't want to have to mess with fucking bias tape. And now I'm just like bias, bias, bias. And of course I'm doing it. I'm not, you know me, I'm not pressing any of this. So I'm taking my bias tape good side against the bad side of my bodice and stitching them together like that at with the foot on my sewing machine, because then I don't have to think about it. Yeah. And then when I finish it, I fold it up and over the raw edge and fold it under on the front. So I am top stitching it down. I'm I not see, so you're in the doing... ditch. I'm top stitching down. So you're having a bias binding, not face bias facing. Yeah. yeah bias binding, not facing in this case. Mm. And that's also the patterns designed that way, right? Okay. If you want to turn it into a bias facing, you'd have to adjust your neckline and your shoulders to allow for that quarter inch you'll lose, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily have to, but technically yeah. that would be what you have to do. And so I am, I am so in love with this. This dress takes me less than an hour to make, which is why I've made 12 of them. I've made them mostly from IL, uh, IL 20 linen, a couple from IL 19, one from bark cloth, one from upholstery fabric. I'm making one right now out of embroidered and sequined silk taffeta. Um, I've, I've, it looks like it'd be really cross. nice for a uh, cotton wall. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. The lighter and floatier. So fun. Mm -hmm. Although this one that I'm wearing right now out of bark cloth, this is a Charlie Harper bark cloth with, um, a whale being attacked by a giant squid. And what is, uh, what is bark cloth? Um, so it's a kind of a heavier, rougher woven, but I don't know beyond that. So it's got like a canvas. It's lighter than canvas, but heavier than cotton, uh, quilting cotton, you say. Okay, okay. Um, and it's got a textured feel to it, like mm. just a little bit of a texture. I associate it with Hawaiian fabrics that my tutu wore when she would come to visit from Hawaii. She would have mumus and suits and other things out of this mm. specific type of fabric. So for me, I associate it with 1960s and 70s Hawaiian fabric. I don't know that that's anything other than my association, 
but, um, but that's my, you know, my tutu used to wear that. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I've been doing is mostly making the same damn dress over and over again, like usual. But I think 12 and three days is a record for me, both in terms of actual productivity, but also binging a dress. Like this is the bingiest of binges. I've made like, I've made over 60 of the trillium, but that's taken three years. I could be really going to benefit from today's, um, (laughs) from today's episode. (laughs) I I really am because, (laughs) because I want, I mean, this was my idea, right? I want to talk about deliberate slowing because Mm -hmm. I have future plans that mean I need to actually slow down how much I'm producing, what my output looks like. I need to be more, I want to be more thoughtful and mindful about what it is I'm doing. And that's super hard for me. Yeah. That's not a thing I'm great at. In fact, I'm looking around my sewing room right now and I'm like, shit, I'm almost out of fabric because of everything I've made of this one dress that I completely love. And I'm just like, is there anything else woven in the house that I can make this? <laughs> it's so bad because I've, I've fallen hard for this one. Nice. But before we get to slow and deliberate sewing, want to talk about um, some new dresses or dresses we're looking forward to? Well, um, we have. I think one new pattern other than we have the, the made by Ray Cleo that's been upsized, mm-hmm. but we also have, and this isn't a dress. This is the Friday pattern company, Elsian mm-hmm. Bodysuit, And, um, Right now, also, th- because when the, this comes out, it'll still be valid. They are having a site-wide sale of 25% off um, using the code Elsian, E-L-S-Y-I-A-N, which is the name of the new pattern. It looks like a long-sleeved, very deep scoop bodysuit. Um, I remember these in the 80s, like having them, you know, for, for a... Yep. Clothes, you know, and I think there's a few companies that make these now. I don't know if I'd make one. I don't think it's something that I would really wear, but um, I know lots of people like them. I think they're great for for lots of reasons, but yeah, for for me, it's it's less of a thing that I'd make. But it's the same reason I don't like one piece swimsuits. I tend to find that I feel split in half, Mm. or I feel like they don't fit properly um, around my bottom if Mm. I don't feel split in half. So it. I, I tend to to not wear my my undercarriage garment connected to my my top. On the other hand, it looks super cute with this yesterday dress that I'm making right now. It would be That's a great true. way to turn it into a fall outfit, right? To have a way of layering. Sure. Also, I wonder if they have the snaps underneath because otherwise you're in big trouble, right? If you wear this with a skirt, you might you're not going to be able to. You know, I have to assume that this is coming with the snaps underneath because I agree with you. (laughs) It, it only makes a lot of sense that way. Um, if, if it does to me, um, but I'm just sort of reading through the instructions to see if the notions indicate it. Um, and I'm not seeing anything in the notions that indicate it. So I don't know, maybe it doesn't have a snap underneath, maybe it's you know, in which case it's really just like a jumpsuit. Um, you, you have to take the whole thing down to <clears throat> do your business. Um, <laughs> but it is, I genuinely, I think it's super cute. It just isn't, it sure, isn't for yeah. me. I'm not the right audience for it. That would be a pretty easy adaptation to make to it too. Cause I imagine there's a seam down there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, so when we talk about slow and deliberate sewing, this is, this is 
this is where I get really challenged, as you know, because I, I don't do things thoughtfully. Like I, I'm proud of randomly now cutting my bias instead of being careful with it. Um, I don't, I don't tend to put the zip in if I don't have to. I don't tend to use um, iron in interfacings and things like that. Although for Prime Day, I bought myself an iron. I bought one of the um, Oliso irons that I tried at the sewing retreat I went to, which Beverly, this blew my mind. I think you'd love this iron. So I bought the like 1600 something or another, whatever the top of the line one is. Uh Um, And how much did they cost? It was 150 on uh, Prime Day, and I think okay. it's usually about 200. And when you when you let go, when you hold on to it, it has little like heat resistant feet that retract. And when you let go of it, the feet put themselves down and lift it up off of the surface, so you don't stand it on its end like you do most irons, right? To keep it from being hot below. Uh huh. But it also means that. If you put your bias tape down and you just start going with it and you're, you're done, you're ready to take a break. It puts little feet up and it stands up about your bias tape waiting for you to start up again. Do you know what I mean? Like you can pull things. It's <laughs> the first two times or three times I used it at the thing. I'm like, this is the most stupid iron I have ever experienced. <laughs> and by the end, I'm like, oh my God, how do I get this? I'm taking a photo and I bought it in purple because it's super cute that way but it comes in four different colors or five different colors or something. And it is, it is super awesome. Just a fan, sadly not sponsored. Um, <laughs> well, you should put a link in the, in the show notes because I, I, I got to check it out. You're absolutely right. It's, it's flipping amazing. I, I really, really love it, but that's one of the things I want to maybe focus a little bit more on as I'm, um, as I'm downsizing my sewing area and organizing it, I should have, a good dedicated space to be doing ironing using another tip from my sewing retreat, taking a piece of um, like two by four plywood piece, Mm -hmm. like a quarter of a sheet of plywood and putting a bunch of batting on it and covering it and then stapling it on the underside with fabric. So you've covered it and you have an Mm -hmm. ironing surface that's easy to move around and can be set on any table and is large enough for anything. And and so nice. on. So I'm, I'm hoping to set up an ironing station like that. But when I stop to think about how to slow down, and I've had this thought for over a week and still made 12 dresses in three days, I don't exactly know how to do it. I don't even know if it's possible. Can you change? Can you really change your general process for sewing? Well, the only way I've ever been able to change anything is with the 12-step program. And I'm not sure if that's <laughs> what you're looking for. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I I don't know. What would that look like for sewing? Yeah. So for me, um, slowing down involves two things. Um, there's there's a couple of things that that I've focused on when I'm slowing down. Um, and one of them is fit. And so the interview that follows with Ruth Collins will talk a little bit about we'll talk about um top-down center out method. There's a video of her also with the threads magazine that I've linked in the show notes as well. Um, but um, in addition, I'm a member of Sarah Duffy's um, so-so guild and there's all kinds of skill building exercises in there. Now I haven't completed things and posted it on there. I'm not, I'm not that kind of participant. Usually I'm a learn and I'm a taker, not a giver, you know, essentially. <laughs> 
um, which I think is okay as long as I'm giving the money to be in the guild. So, um, anyways, um, learning more about fit, uh, because one of the main reasons that I sew, of course, is that I want things that fit me well, that that I feel good in. And for the most part, now, most of the time when I make the clothes that I make, I feel good in. I feel like and I it's hard for me to remember that before I started sewing my clothes, that wasn't the case. I'd spend a long time getting ready every morning because I try on 10 things before I felt good in one of the things, because of course, none of the ready to wear clothes, no matter how thin you are, is really made for you. It's made for some amorphous size, but like, I don't know any person that sews that wears the same size throughout regularly, you know? So you're not going to be able to get a ready to wear garment that has even very well-made, very expensive ready to wear garments that are a size 20 in the chest and a size 18 in the waist and a size 27 in the hips, right? You know, you can't get that. You have to make that yourself. So, um, that's the beauty of this, but I, I, I'm learning a little bit more about nuance of other types of things besides just grading between like I have very straight shoulders and I noticed um, my mom does too. So I gave my mom the um, Simone top that I had made originally just straight from the packet. And I noticed that the neckline of it, a while the, the top fits her better, the neckline is raised up a little bit on her as well. And that must be where I get my straight shoulders from that just goes straight across. Now she has smaller shoulders than me, not so broad, but the straight shoulder business and like learning about which, which kind of uh, (laughs) arm side feels good for me and which type of, um, and fit on pants is really, really a big deal for me. So I think the first way then for me is fit. And the second way is looking at tech, techniques. And I've been so inspired by Sheila Kelly for this. I just love looking at the inside of her garments. I'm really, I'm actually really looking forward to winter this year. I am going to make a coat and the idea of having a garment that looks beautiful on the inside, um, the way that hers does, those kind of things make me happy. I, I love that idea. And I like to think that I could get to that, that place. I know that um, oh, the other thing about the dress that I made 12 of is that it's, um, it's French seamed. And ah. so, and so it is one of those where when you look at the inside, you've got that pretty yes. French seam at the, and it's admittedly, it's at the shoulder and at the side seams. Cause I did not French seam the gathered waist, but I did, um, top stitch the gathered waist when I was done so that everything stays nice and neat. And another option would have been to bind that on the inside, which, mm-hmm. which might've added to it. I'm interested in doing some of that, that finishing work. Like I make a lot of dresses and I would love to be doing faced or bias faced hems. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's a really attractive way because right now what I typically do is I double fold, you know, yeah. whatever it is I'm doing, I either do a quarter inch and then an inch, or I just do two quarters or whatever. But on the skirt I'm wearing right now, I went ahead with a bias, Oh, nice! a bias finish, which that is, is visible. Nice. I did it as a visible bias, but it also would have been nice yeah. folded to the inside. And in fact, the specky seamstress has started selling their bias tape again. And 
almost all of those would be completely gorgeous as an interior yeah. bias bound finish or a Hong Kong finish on any seam. So yeah. I, I can see that. I've also sort of looked around for what people consider to be difficult sewing techniques. I've got a link to an article by Mood mm -hmm. that talks about how to apply bias tape, how to turn bias strips into piping, how to do princess seams and things like that. So I, I think your idea with the SoSo Live Guild and other things of looking for those tasks that feel difficult or extra polished from your perspective or anything like that and learning how to do them is a great idea as well. I'm also, of course, one of the things I've been trying to do is to use my dyed fabrics as a way of building some slow and thoughtful practice into what I do, because if I buy, as I have recently, ex uh, mostly dyeable white fabrics or cream colored fabrics, then part of the process of making the garment starts with how do I want to dye the fabric? And there are yeah. so many new techniques for me to try, leaving aside the natural dyeing, which I think we've realized is really not going to be a thing for me. But there's liquid dyeing that's also completely amazing and full of options, right? That's right. <laughs> I'm laughing because I know that Michelle from... Uh, <laughs> from working West, West um, is going to be yelling at her her uh, car. You know, it turns out there are just some things that you, you can't get your head into. And that I think is going to be one of them for me. And I'm okay with that. Um, but there's a lot of different ways of dyeing with liquids that I've never really done where you bind the fabric and then dip and, and do things like that, that I'm interested in as well, that are more sort of traditional, what you think of as the tie dye you did as a kid, but maybe right. with more thoughtfulness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as well, possibility. Yeah, even even tie dye is can be very thoughtful, you know, as as far yeah. as the way you do it. Um, so another thing I think that would be really nice too that I would like to do is some, you know, for example, like when I say I want to make a coat, like I'd like to do some of the couture techniques on that, you know, not, not everything, but I don't mind hand stitching, and I think that um, some things just work nicer if you hand stitch them. I said, oh, I agree. Yeah. 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 And if you've got the ability to do that, I find that for me, it, it can be really challenging to do it in a mm -hmm. way that doesn't leave my hands hurting. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you a hundred percent. There are definitely things that benefit from it. And more recently I've been, you have to promise not to tell anyone. I won't. I've been basting some things before I final stitch them. Like with I the have, needle and thread. No, no, definitely not with a needle and thread, oh. uh, but, but with a basting stitch on my machine or uh -huh. even just setting my stitch length to five yeah. and trying it first before moving on to making it definite. Uh -huh. um, and I've been trying to be more thoughtful about how I spread my gathers out, for example, mm. because that's one that you can be really loosey goosey about, but I've begun marking skirts in eighths before I gather. Oh, so nice. that when I gather, I know exactly where that eighth is instead of approximating, which is my normal method. I'm like, that looks like halfway. And so does that. I guess they'll be married to each other. And that's, <laughs> that's how I do it. And sometimes I come out of it finding, oh, so that side's a little more gathered than the other. Eh. And yeah. I'm, I'm trying maybe not to pass those things by quite so much. Um, another thing that I've thought of, which is less about slower and more deliberate sewing, although it features is the question of whether or not one of the ways I can fix what's wrong with my sewing practice, which is that I 
create too much for myself. And when I run out of fabric, I will be sad <laughs> because, <laughs> because I, I want to create, I just, I can't, I wake up and it's like, Oh, I have to go to work. Cause I'd really rather make eight dresses today. And so I've considered whether or not that means it is appropriate for me to consider professionalizing some of the sewing I do. And I think it'll be really interesting to see if you like that because you've always hated to make things for other people. I know, but I need to make stuff and I can't make enough for myself anymore because I have other goals that are going to eat up my money. My hobby money is going to go towards a different goal. And so if I'm going to continue to find the solace that I do, the piece I do by sitting at my machine and creating, I may have to try and look at it differently. And I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know whether that would be successful for me, but it's, it's an well, interesting it's an alternative to slowing down, right? Yeah, it is. It's an alternative to slowing down. And it may be related to slowing down because some of the things there, like um, like binding seams and doing, you know, sure. more careful gathering and so on are also things that would be necessary or feel like they'd be necessary-ish if you're going to to sell your garments. Well, Although, you get more money for them. You know, I mean, well, so there's a difference, right? Right now I make for myself and you get what you get. Mm-hmm. Even where I put, like, there are plenty of things. This is French seamed. It's beautiful. It really does look good inside and out. And as long as I'm in love with it, I'm not going to be selling it for 25 bucks, mm-hmm. but I might be willing to let it go for $75 or right. whatever. And so, but it's different because it was made for my body. Right. If I'm making you a dress that I, so I don't know. So I'm trying to sort of think my way around all the things. The other thing I was considering is, you know, those tutorials on Instagram, I've sent you a few of them in the past where it'll be like somebody, okay. usually in a language I don't speak, sewing a placket out of magic yeah. in 30 seconds. Yeah. And I thought maybe one of the things I could do is take more time on that, right? Like yeah. looking at those tutorials and being like, it's time to put a damn well pot fit in something and following yeah. one of them. Or another option I'd thought of is because I enjoy documenting what I do. What if I made that part of the thoughtful practice that on Monday I pull out the fabric and the pattern and I, I post something about it. I talk about why I chose the fabric. And then on Tuesday, I, because for me, Instagram is part of my practice. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a significant part of my practice. It isn't as much. So for you, it isn't for lots of people. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they'll post a picture of something they made and they're like, I've made eight other things, but I didn't take pictures and and that's fine, but it is part of mine. So I've wondered if I were to make that more deliberate the way that I, I present things and say, Hey, here's what I've done, whether that would be a help as well. That might be, that might be. So, so it's, it's interesting. It's infuriating that, that I can't seem to slow down, but at at the same time, (laughs) yeah, I, uh, the one thing I did want to mention that welt pockets, you really need to learn to do that because you will, that's the kind of thing you will love because you could put a pocket anywhere you want yeah. with the welt pocket. And um, I think, I mean, if I can do it, you can do it. You know, like I, you have so much more skill than I do and I've made welt pockets on things. So I know <laughs> that you can do it. <laughs> I feel like it's something I have to have done sometime in the past, but like 30 years ago in the past, not, oh, yeah, maybe. you know what I mean? But I may not have. And I agree with you. I do need to learn to do it. It's one I just need to take the time to sit down and actually do. Mm-hmm. And it may be that that's an advantage right now as I'm finding that my my stash is 
super dwindled right now, um, that it may be something where going through some of my scraps, that's the other thing I think I'm going to be good at right now is I have an opportunity to go, okay, but I have all these half yard to two yard pieces of linen left. I think that's good. I think that's that's good to do. Yeah. Because like that, the scrappy thing, I realized, oh man, I could do a lot more with my scraps than I've been doing. And I think that um, that's another sort of alternative to slowing down for you, because I'm not sure that you'll be successful at slowing down because that's kind of your, I, I think your joy is not just in sewing, it's in finishing. I agree with you. That is one of my fears is that there's a part of it that is that, but right now, that practice isn't going to help me with some of my other goals in my life. So it's, no, but if you find an opt- if, if you find an equally economically valid way of not slowing down with it. So example, oh, yeah. using up your scraps, that doesn't cost you more money that, I mean, it, it will take you a little bit more time, but you won't necessarily have to slow down and do like extra finishing techniques or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you can yeah. still do your breeze through things, but you'll be using scraps and, yeah. yeah, I do. I do wonder whether it's really how practical it is for most people to significantly change how they finish things. Yeah. So if you're a slow sewist and you suddenly found that you had the need to complete things at a much faster pace, how easy would that be for you to do compared to what you're used to? Right. Well, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that people have yeah their ways of doing things, and it, it depends on you know how how much you know. Th- I used to like to sew every day and suddenly with my job, I'm not able to do that. And, you know, people change for some, sometimes reasons out of their control. But I think what you're talking about is when everything is in your control, can you change it? Yeah. yeah. I'd be interested to find out, I guess we'll know in another couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's going to be sad because I'll hit a place where I've like used up all my fabric and we get to the, what have you done this week? And I'm like, nothing, still don't have fabric. Uh, I can't imagine. I think, I think you'll find a way. I, yeah, I feel like I'll have to, won't I? You might not have any sheets left in your house, but you'll find a way. (laughs) All the sheets and and curtains. That that does sound true. I actually sewed up today. My daughter finds at Goodwill's these long tubes of upholstery fabric. And when it's cool upholstery fabric, she buys it for me. And I, I used one of them that I've had for a while to make a dress today. Because I looked at it and I thought, that would actually be really great in this dress. (laughs) So so I, I, you know, I dug deep and sewed it up anyway. um, So our next, uh, next feature here is that we're going to listen to the interview you did with Ruth Collins about top down center out, which she was very lovely and gave me a lot of time. And I hope that you enjoy it. Um, There's some parts I had to cut out because the, my internet as often happens went kind of wobbly, but I think you get plenty of the idea. And she gave some great uh, visuals that for us to put in our show notes as well. Oh, that's wonderful. So today we have Ruth here with us to talk to us about the top down center out method of pants fitting. And Ruth, can you introduce yourself to our audience and tell them how they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, my name is Ruth Collins, and I've created this sort of new approach called Top Down Center Out with uh, apologies to British English spellers because it's spelt the American way. (laughs) And it's a complete sort of rethink of the fitting part of making pants for yourself, which really centers the perspective and the experience of the sewer when you're in your atelier of 
a single person. <laughs> and um, and then uh, this it's a systematic method, and it, you can find me. I document a lot of it on uh, Instagram, under with the account name um, Ithaca Maven. Okay, and we'll put that in our show notes as well. Okay, so the first thing I want to know is when and where and how did you learn how to sew? Oh, uh, um, I I uh, I guess um, I got really sort of interested. That there's actually a guy here who has a um, there's a lot of you know reuse recycle stuff in Ithaca, and there was a guy that had like old sewing machines, and it was sort of like really fascinating taking them apart and putting them back together again. And I think there's like multiple different uh, sources, like at the same time, like my oldest daughter, she went to like a camp and she came back and she'd made a blanket. And I was like, wow, like, like, this is like what these machines actually do. So I kind of got into it gradually that way. And mostly, you know, um, I really learned in the internet era, really from social media, from um, craftsy classes, from PBS um, uh, shows, you know, like Nancy Zeman, amazing, and 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 Peggy Sagas. I'm not totally sure how you pronounce it, Sagas. Um, so these are all these these were all like places that I learned from, and books, oh, okay. books, 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 <laughs> and magazines. So I'm envisioning that you have a closet full of perfectly fitted trousers. <laughs> I think once it, um, it all came together with the fitting. Um, I was mostly working it out on other people, actually. So a lot of my friends are perfectly fit. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah, I sort of knew because, I mean, this is about the same time, you know, that we were talking a lot about sizing and population surveys and things like that. So I, I knew already because I had access to some of, you know, population survey data of different sizes that I was really in um, like a very, uh, the 2% uh, category. And what I was doing was really not, my body is not representative. And I knew that in order to sort of convince people this was going to work, we really had to use representative bodies. So I, I kind of searched around for uh, uh, my friends, you know, who was, who I could, uh, who was willing to be a, a guinea pig essentially for this method. So they, they all have great pants. And then now like this summer, finally, I'm kind of coming back to myself and making <laughs> myself. Yeah, no, there's so many designs I want to make. It's like, and, I, and I've got patterns upon patterns. I've got stacks of tissue paper and I've ironed them all. So I don't want to like fold them back and put them back in the office. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so um, why don't you describe what this method is? We've talked a little bit of, about it on the podcast, but I've probably said it all wrong. So why don't you just describe the method. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is sort of my summer. So top down center right is really a sort of a new way of fitting, fitting pants to your, to yourself when you are really totally by yourself. And it's, it's sort of a very systematic, methodical, methodical method. There's no, really no rat magic or sort of random guesswork for the fitting adjustments. Um, it's really versatile and it's sort of broken down into small stages, which I think is very realistic for makers because we're all kind of late at night, you know, squeezing in 20 minutes here and there. And it, it's inclusive of all designs. And it really looks at the the pant or the trouser as a whole sort of an architectural entity, the whole thing. So you fit basically the whole thing uh, to your body uh, sort of by yourself. And there basically are five stages to this method. Um, the first stage, you make yourself a waistband. And the second stage, you essentially prepare your pattern and you sort of, you add 
sort of adjustments to your pattern because essentially this is a, a method of sort of systematic grading. So you, you take a size and you're grading the different parts of your body that are different sizes because we're all a mosaic of different sizes. And so you have the pattern perimeter um, and then you basically go then, uh, you have your waistband and then you have your half pant and you you fit your half pant, so you're only <laughs> you're only you're only really fitting half a pant. So it's sort of actually quite minimal on sort of using using fabric, and then you get all your fitting adjustments that way. And then um, essentially, then you can then go straight to your fabric, and you cut out your fabric um, with just regular seam allowances, and you uh, you might tweak it a little bit in your final fitting, but then you're done. And so you can really go through this process very systematically and get to a great outcome. Nice. So when you say that you fit a waistband, I mean, I imagine that. So the way I would approach it is I start with a pattern in mind, right. And I make the waistband for that pattern, right. So I have to find what size I wear even right then. Right. And then cut out that size waistband. Is that what you're saying? Or cut it extra long or yeah. Um, so usually I, I, what I do is if it's a straight waistband, I would just cut an extra long strip. If it's a contoured waistband, I just have bigger seam allowances of the contour. Usually you can get to it that way. And it, it's relatively, um, if it's, if there's no waistband, if there's just a facing, you would fit the facing mm. and it's a, sort of, it's a very minimal investment of fabric. But you really get you sort of you you get to figure out the the fabric. You get to figure out the structure, the waistband. You get to figure out where it fits on your body, how to get it to fit where it's comfortable, and and then it's like your first part of the pattern is done. Check. So there's no like surprises later on when you've sort of done your pant and then you go back to put the waistband on and then the fitting all changes. You're starting systematically from the top down. Okay. Okay. So. So you have your waistband and once you have your size, now I've made this, um, I've done this method one time. I maybe not, I did it from the instructions that I found in the threads magazine and from follow mostly actually from following along with the crooked hem. Um, I I like to follow her things that she does and I did the same pattern. As her too, so that the um, Eve trousers from Mer- yeah. Merchant yeah. and Mills, um, yeah. which is a pretty good pattern for someone like me who's pretty straight in between the waist and hips. Um, and so, um, anyways, I did this method, and um, th- I the kind of the cool thing is I I did a true muslin, which I wasn't gonna use any part of after, and marked out on the outside, and I added extra to the waist at the top in case it was the rise needed to be longer and then to the, to the edge, right. That's you, you have it pretty far out actually, right. Give it a lot of extra room. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, that's a a really good question. So people ask, you know, why is it a minimum of two inches Mm -hmm. and, um, and even more actually if uh, for larger sizes or if, if you're taller and the reason for that is a couple of reasons you, um, when you're fitting, you're in a kind of, psychologically vulnerable state especially when you're fitting half a pant you're kind of you're half naked and it's actually that that sensation um of of being sort of vulnerable you want a little bit extra so you feel confident that there's an extra fabric there that you can work with there's nothing 
um, there's nothing worse than sort of pinching or pulling at little bits and you see the edge and then it starts to fray, you know, and then mm-hmm. it gets, it kind of, it can get a little psychologically stressful. So you want to be generous in what you have also because you are sort of touching it and you're tugging it and you're pulling around with it. And so you want a little bit extra. So you have that extra to tug on I see. Um, at the top. The, the second point is that um, essentially what I realized after sort of doing loads of trials and errors and, you know, trying lots of different methods is that essentially what the pattern is giving you is a set of circumferences, you know, the um, sort of ways, tips, you know, thighs and stuff like that, and the hem. And but what the pattern makers really don't know is the distance that the fabric has to travel vertically between those different circumferences. So one of the, the, the we as, as sewists have access to incredible patterns, like really amazing patterns. People have really thought about these patterns deeply and, and done lots of trials of the patterns and they know that these, these things work. And so all we have to do is essentially is customize the get that we we grab those circumferences and we customize the vertical adjustments to our own bodies. So so I I so in writing the method or in sort of performing the method, I don't know um, how that pattern is graded or the assumptions of how tall the person is for whom the pattern is made. So you want to have extra so that even if you only make a quarter of an inch change, you have that two inches to generously be confident that that quarter inch change is what you need. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. So, okay. So we've got this half pant wall that we've made and we we so the first part is so we've got the waistband and then we've got this half pant made so what do you mean by top down center out so that like implies order of directions absolutely and, and that's actually that i thought was going to be the hardest part of fitting is sort of communicating um so you have that hierarchy of fitting and essentially, this this sort of goes back to um, our ideas about the crotch seam. Now, most most fitting approaches um, come from the approach of actually making the pattern. So that both fitting and making the pattern. But when you're um, a sewer working from a pattern, that part is already done for you. So sort of essentially, the crotch curve has already been created for you. So you, so generally, we don't that's not the first place we would look for in fitting. That would be the last place we would look for in fitting. And so, um, it, so but we're starting from the top down and, and that's actually a, a very universal concept in fitting. That's not new at all. That is that um, because of gravity, you're working from where your garment is suspended and which happens to be the waistband if your pant has a waistband. So that concept is clear already. And so then I had to really communicate that you, you go both top down and center out. And, and the reason for this is because alterations for the, to the crotch curve was one place where fitting can very easily get off track. So you set that center part first, and then essentially you grow your pant from the center to the side. And that sort of takes care of it. And then you have the cut of the pant, which is the style of the pant that was created by the pattern maker, and you adapt it to your body. I see. Okay. So in that case, then, um, 
are you saying then that, for example, a common adjustment that people make um, or that I have made before is that um, I don't have much of a butt. And so I've cut off a little bit of the crotch curve on the inside to kind of tuck in to get the the pants to tuck in. So your approach then instead would be to maybe take from the side of the hip. Yeah. So you had to kind of question. So you, so your, um, your, this is sort of one of the problems with pants fitting is that everybody is assessing their bodies and then looking up the body part adjustment. And, you know, we all have, let's say five or so body part adjustments to make. And then once we start making those body part adjustments, the, the whole architecture of the pant gets distorted. And, and, then, and then we have other problems because essentially it's like a Rubik's cube. You can't alter one part without altering another part. And so if, if um, let's say, a, somebody says to themselves they have a, a, a large butt or a small butt, that's really a circumference issue. And that will be addressed in the pattern when you select your crotch curve, which is your cross body depth. And after that, um, you, um, so after that, then you, all you have extra in this method, you have extra at the side. So once you've adjusted your vertical dimensions, you can balance that whole pant from the top, the waistband, all the way down to the hem to make sure that you reproduce the design of the architecture, you're mapping that architecture onto your body. And so the consideration of, of that, that sort of psychological, that emotional energy you put into deciding, you know, whether your butt is small, big, or however, or the thigh, that this, that is, you don't have to worry about that. You're just worrying about the architecture, the seam lines, where do those seam lines map on your body? So um, you would set your crotch curve first. And then, and then um, once that is set and the inseam is hanging correctly down from the crotch curve, um, then you would use the out the architecture of the out seam to sort of um, uh, um, you would go in or out accordingly, but you would want to balance everything from the top to the bottom. So, for example, you might have a you don't necessarily want the architecture of the design of the pant or the trousers to exactly follow the contours of your body because then it would be leggings let's say mm-hmm, Does that mm-hmm. so right. uh, so you know so you want to um so that that is something that you would look at the design intent and assess that, that on your body yeah uh i see what you're saying uh i think what i'm talking yeah. about is when you see how a, a design would be and it would look if you're, let's say your, your body were fuller in certain parts or thinner in certain parts or something, it would look different based on the shape. Right. And maybe you're interested in having it curved to your body the same way as it did there. So for example, if I take a pair of pants, that's made for an hourglass shape, um, obviously I have to change the waist because my waist is, is thicker than that so that it will, so that it will fit on my body, on my hips and on my waist. Otherwise I choose hips or waist. Right. Um, so that would be covered in that, but maybe an area, like, I don't know. I, I think of like in when I make tops and how I have darts in the sides to accommodate my chest, 
And I'm wondering about if similar ideas of shape, I, I don't know anything about pants drafting. It's just something I could imagine in my mind. Yeah, so um, it's actually in this, your standard pant, you have a front and you have a back and you have darts in the front or dart equivalents in the front and dart equivalents in the back. And essentially, you've got to fit all of these areas from the waist on down. And what is what is different about sort of the pant versus the skirt is you're fitting all of these areas and the amount of ease in all of these areas um, has to be contained within a very uh, fairly narrow parameters. Let's say your skirt, it doesn't really matter what, uh, um, that much, but with pants, it really does matter. And furthermore, it's a very sensitive part of the body. So you sense if, let's say, your torso is overfitted or too tight and the leg is too baggy or underneath mm-hmm. the rear end is too baggy. So it's it's managing all that ease and distributing the ease evenly around the body that is really, that's the thing that makes pants fitting so um, or creating a pattern so difficult. And obviously, fabric is essentially two-dimensional. All of these threads are on the loom. They're all going up and down the loom. And all of these sort of threads, they all want to hang out with their friends like they were on the loom originally when they were created. And so they all, fabric kind of typically wants to all go in the same direction. And so when you wrap it around your body, you're sending the fabric in all different directions and keeping that even. You're sort of wrapping your body, wrapping your torso and your legs evenly. And so you need those darts and those other elements to keep that wrap going. And that it's kind of, so it's not just for sort of, um, it, it, it's it's your contours and your bulges, but also sort of to direct the fabric. So the fabric is kind of like sheep. It all wants to sort of rush mm-hmm. around. And then your darts are kind of directing the fabric, like, hey, this is your gate. You know, half of you is going to go in this direction and half of you is going to go in the other direction. You know, that's how you would get flare to one side, to the front, the back or the side, and so, so, so on and so forth. So um, that is really, and and the, the magic of pants is, all of this is managed really with only two pattern pieces. And so you're utilizing both the straight grain and you're utilizing the, the sort of the bias or the off grain part of the pant. And, and uh, you'll see like in some uh, pant or trouser design where that looks where you have sort of really nicely beautiful uh, rear end uh, parts are defined in in your butt cheeks. You'll see, you know, the, the bias is there nestling. Actually, I have this great, picture it's actually from I think it's from the um if you can see this picture yeah. from the 90s. you know I don't think you know here you see I think this is pants and you can see like even though uh you would hardly describe this as a large rear end the butt cheeks are beautifully <laughs> delineated and it's very sexy and so that is the the sort of how that pattern is is taking that fabric and manipulating the fabric so it, it's not just your body it's also the pattern and also the fabric. It's a three-way relationship. And when you come together to fit your pant, you're taking care of those three aspects. Right. So I have heard a few people ask, how is this different from the Palmer plush method of pants fitting? And I know that you have an answer for that. um, And I'm really curious about that. 
Yeah. So um, in the Palmer Platch method of fitting, um, so there's two aspects. They're very different. The methodology is very different and the philosophy is very different. So um, in the Palmer Platch method, it's tissue fitting, right? Mm-hmm, right. So you take it to, and, and so I would, um, in tissue fitting, um, you 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 basically you you're not really allowing the fabric the um the structure of the fabric to do its thing sure and so some of these patterns i realize not all of them but some of them um like uh, some of these uh classic sort of hillary clinton pantsuit mm-hmm. design patterns i realized that it, it wouldn't even work if you had paper because you couldn't bend it around the darts in 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 that way so it makes it hard to fit now, I think in the Palmer Pletch method, they're not really doing a lot of fitting in, with the tissue part. They're really, it's really just sort of get, getting a sense of the vertical dimensions, right? Okay. And then you would slash it and you would spread and you would add to your pattern, um, which I in in the sort of top-down center-out method, you're not doing because you're adding to the perimeter of the pattern, then you're sort of carving out. So you actually, and some people say when they try the top-down center-out method, they're like, oh, it, you know, it was so big. There's so much fabric flapping around. And that's true because you're not in your toile. Um, you're not getting closer and closer to fit. You're starting off with a lot of fabric flapping around and you're carving out your fit from that. So that's um, that's different to sort of other fitting approaches where as you sort of you uh, jig the pattern or you, you slash and you spread the pattern, you alter the pattern sort of to get your best guess at fit and then you go to your twirl and get it even better so that in the palmer pletch method they're kind of um i would say that in the top down center out method you're front loading the fit right you do mm-hmm. all of your fitting on the twirl and then after that it's clean sailing to go to your uh, pattern no extra seam allowances or whatever and then the palmer pletch method you would when you cut out your fabric you add all these big seam allowances and you do um changes um, on the body. Now, what I'd say is, um, in general, when you fit half a pant, one of the one of the things I really realized about half the pant is that it really ha- and you go center out. It really helps you to avoid overfitting the torso, and um, because you you have you there's nothing restraining the center seams. Um, there's no other side that's sort of keeping you know balancing them out so it enables you and so you know that if you um you know the minute you overfit the side because your center seam starts to move out of the way and that's a a really nice way to get that ease that uh, trouser patterns have and to keep maintain that ease and that's one of the things i really like about the top down center out method um Thank you. That's, that's very helpful. I was also thinking about, so if the pants have, I know that, and I don't tend to do this type of fitting a lot myself, but I know uh, friends that do in making jeans Mm -hmm. um, in pants that have a yoke, they oftentimes will do a lot with the yoke. That's kind of maybe different than this, but you, how would you work with a yoke in this? Just make it up as if it was a straight piece. Um, yeah, actually, that's a great question. But I haven't, I haven't done myself too much with that because I've been so focused on sort of getting the basics and documenting it and 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 getting the method out there. 
other people have. <laughs> I mean, it's been their first rodeo with top-down center out. They've used it for jeans fitting um, with great success. And in fact, um, uh, a friend of mine, Mersey Dotes, um, had on Instagram, and you can look up her account, she actually had a free uh, demonstration of jeans fitting with a yoke using this method. And what she did is she fit the waistband with the yoke together and she looked at the uh, where she wanted the yoke to cross her rear end and adjusted it in that way. But essentially, you've got another pattern piece to play around with when you do it that way. And so you're just adding more complications and you're throwing more complications into the mix. And the more pieces you have, you know, the more um, possibilities there are. And that's one of the great things about fitting. You have these pattern pieces, they get sewn together and it's all in three dimensions. So you can take two dimensional pieces into three dimensions in, in, the X, Y, and Z planes. You can do anything. And that's one of the reasons why actually a a lot of different methods work or you can MacGyver your pants to get fit and that will work as well Um, because you can just take them in all different directions. So the question becomes, what restraints do you want to put on yourself? And I would say um, from the point of view of the person making pants for themselves from a commercial pattern, the restraint is that you want to, uh, have reproduced the look of that pattern, the design of that pattern on your body. Right. So if you're trying to say, use the pattern, but interpret it differently, you may do other types of fitting than, than this schedule suggested in this method. Yeah, or you could take it in a different direction. And I think, um, and, and this actually gets back sort of historically, I think there weren't that many types of pant design out there um, when and people use the same sort of fitting methods uh, for fitting pants as they did for fitting bodices, and so the pants all ended up looking the same. <laughs> and again, this is another reason. Actually, going back to the Palmer Pletch method, um, probably why um, they're not using a waistband is because once they fitted the torso, it's it's fairly um, snug against the body. So you can just hold up that pant with, um, a, you know, I think they use a rubber band or string. But what I realized when I was experimenting with a lot of different patterns and different bodies is that that didn't give you enough precision to fit all design. And you really mm-hmm. needed uh, the real waistband. In fact, sure. actually, I wasted a lot of time on the um, the sort of the tinfoil crotch method or try to reproduce the shape of the crotches mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I was trying to calculate, oh, would there be easy ways that everyone could calculate their cross-body depth? Because it's all a question of cross-body depth versus cross-width depth. Yeah. You match your width, body width. Your Sorry, these dogs. <laughs> And so so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how could we do that? Would it be feasible to do that in a really easy way, taking measurements? And and eventually I decided that it wasn't an easy way, but the way you could do that was essentially start with the waistband. And then you would be setting your cross-body depth. Uh, Do you need some time to... Sorry, somebody had the audacity to walk by my house, so the dogs (laughs) went nuts. (laughs) (laughs) okay um so what has been what is your favorite style of pants to make um for yourself um that's a good question i love all pads (laughs) i love pads with pockets i love trousers 
I love, um, I actually have, haven't made any jeans, um, but now I'm kind of getting all excited about making jeans. Um, I like fabric. I like different kinds of fabric. I like cotton fabrics, wool fabrics, um, pants with lining, um, uh, pants with cuffs. Uh, yeah. Not like the kind of pants I bet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe that, that was I enough. don't like. Um, but uh, probably my favorite uh, pant um, that everybody knows this is like a Hillary Clinton style sort of pant. Okay. Uh, it's like a, you, you know, a, a nice pantsuit pant. pant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pants, pants, yeah. Okay. Cigarette pants, they're, they're all great. Yeah. So um, are you uh, in the process of or thinking about writing a book about this? I would like to, um, for sure. I think um, that's a huge undertaking, of course. And, and one of the things is um, I don't know how how much interest there is out there. I, I Well, I don't know. This is sort of like a separate thing. I um just getting you know working everything out getting it sort of stripping it down like originally I had had many more steps than the, sort of the refining got it down to these five steps and um and so I, I just sort of in a way this summer I'm just sort of taking a break and trying to sort of explain the method to people you know explain how it's new where it's different from um, previous methods and and so I would I definitely would love to write a book and I'd like to have really nice, uh, sexy fitting photographs in mm-hmm. the book uh, with diverse bodies. And and I don't know, uh, you know, the resources you would need to do that. But that's that's what I would really love to do, because I think um, one of the things I think was difficult about social media and getting people to try out this method and document it on social media is the fact is, you know, you are half naked. And- yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> people, I, I mean, that alone, I think, made people reluctant to um, to to give it a go, or you know, that um, or at least document it in public on social media. And I think also, um, you know, people say, it, it, you know, it, it, if it's so simple, um, you know, why why haven't people come up with something like this before? And I think again, it really some of this could only come from the perspective of a home sewer, because, you know, like so many of these articles were like, you know, you can fit pants by yourself, but it helps if you have a buddy. I'm like, yeah, oh. right. <laughs> yeah. They're in a, you know, the real, the reality is that people don't have that available, you know? It, well, that. even, you know, I have, I, I live here with Jim, but like, I don't have him help me fit my pants. Exactly. Like he's doing his thing. I'm doing my, you know, like I just yeah. do it myself. Well, do you want your friends to be staring at your butt? Do you want to have <laughs> so I so that that so that part alone, I think, and so a lot of the methods um, that were available to the home sewing industry, they were methods that were adapted from professional ateliers, right? Sure. And so the idea that you would go into, you know, that uh, I don't know, Prince Charles goes to Savile Row and for his first fitting, and they bring out a waistband. <laughs> they say, so we're, today we're going to fit your waistband. I mean, it's, it's just ab- really absurd. Yeah. So, and fitting half a pad, it's kind of absurd, but it works. And so this is why I think um, that people didn't come up with this, the, you know, these approaches before. I see, I see, yeah. Because it's really geared, you know, it really centers the experience and w- what is feasible for the a person who's doing it for themselves who's who's really a maker 
So I think one of the things, the thing I really, I like a couple of things about it. Number one, it, when, when you sit down to fit something like most of the pants that I've made, aren't fitted pants. They're just like elastic weight pants and they're of a general shape, straight shape that fit me well. And I haven't had to do any kind of fitting on them, but, um, when, but I do enjoy wearing pants that are a little bit more fitted. So this is a bit of slowing down in that perspective, but at the same time, it's a relatively quick method, right? I mean, I have to make a 12. So that's, that's different than if you just whip up some pants, but um, it's, you know, that's a big gamble, but then if you, but a half a 12 does not take long to make and um, can really be done quickly. And I've, you know, I've done the whole process. I think I did in, you know, I, I did the whole fitting process in one evening and then, you know, finished sewing. I didn't finish it all sewing that night, but it doesn't take, um, it doesn't take as long as I think it thought it would. Well, I, I, I just want to show you this way that I think that this is really, pants are actually much easier to fit than people think they are and for some reason in the sewing community they've acquired this sort of fearsome reputation and I'm really hoping we can cut through that because we all need great pants with pockets and we all want to make them easily and and what I realized there so this is the good news part about pants fitting and I don't want to underestimate it because you have to put in the work and one of the things I wanted to do with this method is make it sort of as transparent as possible so people can feel confident when they fit because sometimes you know um, for a long time people are like finding the ultimate uh, pattern adjustment they were like well I have you know, I have certain things about my body that I think, you know, need to be fitted. And so I'm looking for the reverse two-part maneuver <laughs> pattern adjustment, the secret pattern adjustment that's going to fix all my problems, you know. And, and, and you're always worried, like, is there something better out there? And so one of the things I think I really, this is part of this sort of the education part of pants fitting is I want to sort of reassure people is that that once you do this method you can be satisfied with the compromise you've made of for the fitting so um let me just show you why I think that that is the case I think there is no such thing as the perfect fit and this is why you can do it sort of so easily and 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 get it done in a straightforward manner and so your goal with fitting pants um it, it, the perfect fit is a unicorn. So all your goal is to really customize the design and the pattern to your body and uh, all those different parameters compromise between all those different parameters. Like you might go um, a little bit more relaxed on the waist um, so that you're balancing out um, the hips, which might be small, you know, so on and so forth. And let me just show you why, why that is. Um, and the reason, there's two reasons for this is because our bodies adopt, you know, very different positions. Uh, and when you, for, for example, bend down to sit, it's one of the biggest, you, you lengthen your back. Mm -hmm. It's one of the biggest uh, body movements that would need extra fabric. So you have to accommodate all that movement, You the extra fabric that you need for the movement or the ease you need for that movement within your pant design. And also your body fluctuates, even if you 
stood still all day your body would fluctuate like somebody just emailed me the other day and said there's a one inch difference between the morning waist measurement and the evening waist measurement so when you have that kind of fluctuation in your body which we all do that there is no such thing as perfection really there's just you want to get to the best possible functional fit that allows the design allows the fabric to perform allows you to wear that pant and and have it for you know, many, many wares. And so it's sort of effective and functional. And so let me just show you this, this photograph. And this is actually one of the really things that I found so helpful about Instagram is that you could see, uh, you're not just seeing the sewing community, you're seeing all different communities, you're seeing how the fashion community works, you different, um, different trouser fits, different pant fits, you're seeing, you're seeing people all, you know, in all different communities. And this is actually from the sort of the fitness community. And um, this woman is great because she's showing how sort of some of these influencers kind of um, uh, hold their bodies in different ways to look at it. So the 10 seconds apart, you can see that the body dimensions have totally changed in this photograph. And when you look at people actively moving, um, you can see that the pants have got to accommodate all these movement in your bodies, the intrinsic movement in your body. And, you know, this is just your pants moving as your hip flexes, your pants, um, how your body changes, how, how, your body spreads out when you sit down. It's not just that your back lengthens, also um, your the soft tissue of your torso and your um, uh, your back and your thighs is going to spread out. So you need so um, so that essentially, so you can relax. That about getting a perfect fit, you just have to be functional. Like this actually is a picture that shows um, it's a French. Uh, this is a knit pant. You can see it's incredibly closely fit to the body, this pant. So you have to say when it's incredibly closely fit, what will happen when you bend down, when you sit down, right? When you bend down that back, because it's so closely fit, the back just slides down. And that is totally acceptable. It's totally fine. But that's what you have to understand. And when you have that knit pant that, or the elastic waist, that's one of the reasons you have these elastic weight. They move around on your body as your body moves. <laughs> so that so once you start understanding this and once you kind of start relaxing, I think, you're going to have a lot more fun making your own pants and fitting your own pants because you know that once you've, uh, you take your design and there's such wonderful patterns out there that you take your design, you map it to your body and you don't, you don't distort that pad, that design, that design is architecturally functional. It's just, it's just sort of um, customized to your body and you're going to have a great fit. And that makes, I think I'm hoping, uh, allowing your body to collaborate with the pattern. It's not, it's not your body that's wrong. It's not, I mean, sometimes people say, oh, this pattern wasn't drafted for your body. I'm like, no, it was not drafted for your body no pattern is is patterns are drafted for this sort of mythical average body and and so the whole point the question of the architecture is that you then take that architecture that pattern and you customize it to your to your body so you don't have to uh worry about that aspect it's a collaboration between you and the pattern and of course the fabric because you could you could get to uh, a really great fit with and you could make your uh, pant in one fabric and then you would take another kind of fabric and then it quite a full relax 
and to understand all the different parameters that go into fitting the pant, make the pant and enjoy wearing it. Um, what I would say to people is that when you when you fit is is to try if if you can if you can show your pattern before and after to help document your fit and i think that really helps how small changes can have big impacts as they get from the top down and the end. one thing that i really like about this is it essentially it makes it that you're you're generally going to have one twall you're not going to have five twalls and that's what I think kept me from fitting pants for a long time is I would see folks that would make a twall and then they'd notice a certain um, wrinkle or something in the pants and they'd change something. They make a whole nother twall yeah. and then uh, and um, yeah. and so the the idea of of being able to just do the one twall and have at least a pant that fits and maybe maybe it's because I'm not as picky as them that that seemed to work for me. Well, I think that um, our listeners are going to really appreciate um, the time that you spent talking to me. And I think that you, um, the, the method is, is something that sound it's very workable. I mean, my experience with it, I'm certainly no expert, but I did find, I do have a pair of pants. I'm actually wearing those pants today. Um, and there, uh, I was, you know, I've, I've worn them a few times and it, it was a very simple method to me. And I think that, um, so many of the, I, I was very intimidated with fitting pants before because um, because I thought there'd have to be several twalls and I I know I'm too impatient to do that so I really uh, I really appreciate this and um, I'm I'm glad that this method is out there for people to do I really do hope you do write a book because I think that um, you know a lot of us that are kind of Instagram sewists maybe know about you and know about this method, but the vast majority of folks, you know, they buy big four patterns and they don't, they don't maybe know a lot about this. And so it'd be nice to have this method out there so that people could easily fit their pants and maybe more folks would do it. Well, thank you so much, Ruth, for talking to me. I've taken up a, a good deal of your time here and I really appreciate you, um, you spending all this time and being so prepared. So um, thank you very much. And so hopefully you guys got a lot of information from the interview that, that I had with Ruth and that you will find her on Instagram. And let's keep our fingers crossed that she actually writes that book because I think it would be helpful to a lot of people um, in, in the sewing community. So Jenny, I guess I'll see, see you, you next Tuesday. Tuesday. Punk Frockers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frockers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art.